Well, what's up, church? I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, right now, we have over 100 students from Tiffin area from our campus that are at the Kalahari Retreat in Sandusky. Uh, they should be just starting their final session over there for the weekend. And so um, just, a, just a cool thing that our, our campus was able to take so many kids. We've only... Yeah, AJ, uh, AJ's been working his butt off, so... Um, I appreciate that. But um, we, he just texted me a little while ago, um, but they, he said he had uh, 11 students that he knew of at that point who have given their lives over to Jesus um, from, our, from our campus. And so um, just a cool thing. That's why we do what we do. That's, that's the most important thing, right? It's the life change. Um, and these, those 11 students are starting their story uh, with God, okay, for the first time in their life. And so, um, super, super excited to hear how that comes. They're coming home. They get to come home today. So, uh, I was up there Friday. They're having a blast. Seemed like a ton of fun. Seems sweet. So, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Um, I think we're all on the same page here. We all love a good story. Okay? That's why Hollywood exists. All right? That's why we watch movies. That's why we, some of you guys, you read books. That's why you watch shows. That's why you always have to, that's why you have to finish the season even if you don't like the, even if you don't like it. Or if you're like, oh, this is a bad season. But you finish it anyway because you want to know how the story ends. We all like a good story and we all have a story because that's what our life is. Our life is a story. And some of you guys, I've been able to talk to you. Um, and get to know you guys better. And it's like, some of you guys, you have a really interesting life. Like, you've done some things in your past, and you've, you've done some things, you know, where it's just like, that is super interesting. Like, I wish I did that, but I'm not as courageous as you, and stuff like, you know, just stuff like that. But um, it's, it, here at Grace, what we try to do is, for like membership meetings and baptism and stuff like that, we always try to meet with the people. And I've met with a bunch of you. And part of that is just so, one of the reasons, just so I can uh, get to know you better, right? And a lot of times, the first thing that I ask is we sit down, and you guys, a lot of you guys have experienced this. We, I just want to know your story. I'm like, what's your story? All right, how'd you get here? Where'd you, you know, where'd you come from? What happened along the way? Like, I want to know your story. And as I've heard and sat down and listened to a lot of your stories, um, there's one common denominator that seems to be throughout them all. And that is things happen in your life that you weren't expecting. And things happen in your life, like your life doesn't go the way that you always plan. Like every single one of us, we've all experienced the same things in the fact that we've all experienced pain suffering, bad news, and sometimes it's really easy for us, especially when these things enter our life. You're just like, why? You ever ask God why? I don't think it's wrong to ask God why, you know, so don't like get all Christian on me like, no, I would never. You know, you ever ask God why or wonder why? We're like, God, why? Why is this happening? I'm not saying you're questioning his goodness or anything like that, although I think a lot of people do that when bad things enter their life. I'm just saying you're just questioning why. Like, what's the, what's the plan here? We don't see God moving. We don't see what the, what the good is or where the good is. Sometimes um, it's, a, it's a big thing, you know, that enters our life or something just drastically changes, or drastically alters our life, and we're just like, oh, this is going to change my life from here on out. I don't like it. It's usually a bad thing. And we're just like, God, why is this? Why are you doing this to me or allowing this to happen to me? Sometimes it's not, even, it's not just one thing. Sometimes it's just a lot of little things in our life. We're just like bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happens. And it keeps happening. And you're just like, you're just, you know, it just kind of drives you crazy. Um, a few weeks ago, I was... Uh, downtown, I was getting a pizza at AJ's. First of all, you Tiffin people. In Fremont, we always called it AJ's. Here in Tiffin, I always hear you guys calling it Heavenly. What is it? 
Okay, AJ's wins out. That's right. I appreciate that. So I was at AJ's, not Heavenly, and uh, I got a pizza, and I'm, I had parked a few blocks away. And so I'm walking down the sidewalk with my pizza. It's cold. It's dark out, and I'm just trying to get to my car as fast as I can because my pizza's getting cold, and I'm cold. So I am noticed as I'm walking down the sidewalk that I'm catching up to a guy who's just walking really, really, really slow. You know people like that who are just slow walkers and it kind of drives you nuts? By the way, if you're older in here, you get a pass because in my point of view or how I reason it, I'm like, hey, you've probably walked fast your entire life. You deserve to go slow, okay? But for the middle-aged guy and down, all right, you get no grace from me. And so um, here's this guy. He's like a middle-aged guy. He's just walking slow. He's just walking kind of down the sidewalk. He has got no place to go. Um, he's not in any hurry. He's probably just enjoying life like how I should be doing, but I'm not because I'm trying to get to my car as fast as possible. And I'm catching up to him with my pizza in hand fast. And it's awkward. Like the pass is awkward. You know what I'm talking about? You pass too slow. You're like walking next to him. It's weird for a while, and it's just awkward, and you pass him too fast, you look like the guy from high school who's, you know, got the, the high pants, and he's got his, you know, book bag up real tight, and he's got all his books in there, and he's running around every class, like, I don't want to look like that guy either, as you, like, speed past him, and so it's like, you know, you got you to gotta figure it out, and so I come up with this plan, I'm catching up to this guy, I'm like, oh, this guy's walking slow, um, I'm going to have to, you know, what I'll do is I'm going to pass him quickly. And so we won't have the awkward, like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, not bad. You know, we don't have that. And then I'll slow down when I get in front of them, and uh, I won't look like the high waters kid, you know. And so that's my plan. I was also a little bit worried because I'm like, you know, it's dark out. He doesn't know that I'm coming because I'm coming up on him fast because he's going so slow. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't want to, like, startle him or scare him or anything because I'm just going to come out of nowhere, like, zip past him and then slow down, you know. And so I wasn't kind of worried about that. But I'm like, so what I'll do is I'll, like, stomp a little, you know, I'll let my steps be heard so he knows that I'm there or at least aware, could sense me, whatever. So that's my plan. It's a pretty good plan, by the way. You're free to use it. It's free. <laughs> so as I go to pass him, left lane, right, at the very moment, that I'm passing him, he happens to hack up a loogie, and he spits left. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like he just, you know, spits on the ground. He's like going for like distance, this spit. And he's just like, so he just spits, and it spray, it's like all over me. It's on me, it's on my face, it's on my pizza box, it's in my mouth, it's in my eyes. It's everywhere. And again, I heard him, you know, sorry, I don't want to gross anybody out. But he's doing that. And he spits. And I'm just like, and, he, and immediately he's like, oh, because he didn't know I was there because he didn't hear my footsteps. So that didn't work. And, um, and he, you know, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Get off my piece of bag. And I can just feel the COVID just invading my body, you know. And, uh, and as I'm walking down the sidewalk with my spit-covered pizza box, and I've got it all in my hair and everything, and I'm just like, like, it's one of those moments where I'm just like, why? <laughs> what was the point of that, right? Like, why couldn't you, God, all-powerful God, why couldn't you have him spit two seconds before? Because that would have worked out. Or two seconds after, why'd it have to be at that one moment? Why couldn't he spit down? Why couldn't he have just spit on my shoe? I would have been okay with that. Why do you have to spit in my mouth, you know? Like, why did this have to happen? And it's things like that we have in our lives where it's just like, like some of you, you know, a lot of times it's like little things like that. We're just like, why? What's the point? I don't understand why. But a lot of you, I totally understand. It's like a big thing. 
where you're going through like legit pain. And you're going through legit suffering. And there's things in your life that just doesn't make your life easy. And it's a recent part of your story. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's health issues for somebody that you really care about. Maybe you've lost someone along the way. Our stories, our life, they're not fairy tales. It's not always good, 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 right? It, there, it, sometimes life doesn't go the way, the, the way that we plan. Last week, AJ started a brand new series, which I'm super pumped about. We're going to be talking about this, this girl named Esther. Um, it's one of the best stories in the Old Testament, hands down. And through this story, what we're going to learn throughout the next few weeks, we're, we're going to learn about how God is always moving and he's always working in our lives, even when we can't see it. Even when we don't recognize it, even when we don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing what he's doing. And so the story that we're going to be looking at is a true story. It's about a young teenage girl. Her name's Esther. She lived 2,500 years ago. Um, by the way, I think a lot of us, when we start thinking of, like, like uh, of people living in the past, I think a lot of us, we think, um, you know, we're better than them. It's like, well, you know, they didn't know all the things that we know. All right? Don't think for a second that Esther didn't have the same hopes, dreams, and desires that you have. Okay? We're all human, yet what's around us might be different, but we all struggle with the same things on the inside. Esther was alive as you are here today. She lived just like you are living. These events that happened to her, I mean, that's what happened. They, they happened. And we're going to be talking about her story. It really starts off with uh, trying to give you some context of what's going on. AJ did this last week, uh, but uh, I'll try to go quick. But the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, it actually ends with the Jewish people. Um, it's like a big family at this point. They're in Egypt. And it, after a while, that family grows, 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 grows. It kind of grows into a nation. And the Egyptians decide, hey, why are these people living among us? All right, we should enslave them. And so the Jewish people become slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And at the end of that 400 years, God raises up this guy named Moses. You've probably heard of him to lead those people out of Egypt, and God's got a place for him. He's got this land called the Promised Land where he's going to take, him, uh, take him to. And eventually, that's exactly what happens. The Jewish people, they move into the Promised Land, into this land that God gave them. By the way, it's kind of ironic. It's the same land that Israel owns today, the nation of Israel. And so they move into this area, and for the first 300 years that they're there, they're ruled by judges. And things are not good. The Jewish people, they're not following God. They're not even worshiping God. They're doing whatever they want to do. And... Uh, and eventually they cry out for a king, and God gives them a king. And he first gives them Saul, and then he gives them uh, King David, and then David's son Solomon takes over as king when David dies, then Solomon dies, then Solomon's son takes over as king. And during his, right at the beginning of his reign, the kingdom actually splits into two, and you got the northern kingdom called Israel in the north, you got the southern kingdom called Judah in the south. And eventually both of these kingdoms are invaded and defeated by the Babylonian empire. And when, the Bab when Babylon comes in and they defeat Israel and, and Judah, that uh, the, the emperor or whatever, the, the king, he actually takes the Jewish people and scatters them throughout his empire, which is really a good idea because he does it so that the Jewish people can't like revolt. He did this to all the nations or most of the nations that he conquered. He scatters them so they can't rise up and revolt because they're all scattered everywhere. It's really, you know, again, it's a, it's a smart idea. So he does this, that to these people and people like Daniel and Ezekiel are taken over to Babylon. Well, after a few decades... 
Babylon is actually defeated by the next major empire, and he's defeated by this Persian king named Cyrus the Great. And when Cyrus comes in, uh, he defeats Babylon, and he brings in the Persian empire. And uh, that's where we get stories like Daniel and the lion's den. He's super old at this point, and just to kind of put into context. But eventually, Cyrus's grandson, his name is Xerxes, he takes over. Now, if you notice, when we're reading the book of Esther, and you may have noticed from last week as AJ was teaching, um, the, the king in the story is this guy named Xerxes, but the, our Bible version calls it something else. It's Ahasuerus, um, and that's how AJ uh, called him. But to me, Ahasuerus, it sounds like a sneeze. You know, it's like Ahasuerus, you know. So we're just going to call him Xerxes. Ahasuerus, that's his Hebrew name. Xerxes is his Greek name. So same guy, same king. Um, but Xerxes, I just like that better. It's a sweet name. So we're going to go with that. But when Xerxes takes over, he's, so this is grandson of Cyrus the Great. Um, he is the most powerful man on the planet. He spends, during his reign, he spends the first three years of his reign putting down revolts and uprising throughout his entire empire. And when he gets done with that, the empire is finally at peace and he gets to finally go home. And he declares, this is what AJ talked about last week, a party. He's like, all right, it's time to party. Like, I've been working for three years. I've been taking care of this, taking care of this. Now I'm home. Now I'm going to party and just live it up. And this party that he throws, this isn't just like, hey, we're going to have some friends over. We're going to have a few beers on a Friday night. Okay, this is like, like the Persians, they knew how to party. Okay, they knew what was going on. They party for 180 days. That is six months of partying that they're all just drinking, living it up, doing whatever they want. And at the end of that 180 days, at the end of that six months, he decides that he's not done. And so he says, hey, we're, we're going to do, we're going to have one more week. This is like the finale of the finale. He's like, we're going to do one more week of partying. I'm going to invite everybody to the palace. He, the Bible tells us that he invites the least to the greatest. So he doesn't care if you're like, if you're a nobody or whatever, if you're, the, you know, if you're, you're an official or whatever. He's like, everybody's going to come to my palace and everybody is going to drink and get whatever they want. And the Bible describes kind of how this was. The Bible describes how his palace was all made out of marble. Okay, everything looked good. Um, it really played the part. Uh, his couches he had made of pure gold and silver, which doesn't sound very comfortable to me. It's like sitting on a rock, but, uh, but it looked sweet. And if we had one sitting here, you guys all, you know, would be coming up taking selfies as you're sitting on this gold couch. So that's probably what they were doing too. And so everybody's sitting on their gold couches. They're hanging out. Um, all the cups that they're drinking their beer and wine out of, all the cups are made out of pure gold. All right, each cup is not the same as any other cup. So every cup he has for these probably thousands of golden cups, he's got, they're all in, like unique in design and uh, individual. And uh, he even tells the servants, he says, hey, whatever anybody wants, make it happen. We're partying it up this first or this last week. And everything he does is to impress. By the way, we do this too a little bit. Let me just, before we like shame this guy and go, I can't believe that. You know, uh, we do this to, to an extent. How many of you guys, when someone's coming over, right, you clean up the place? Yeah, we all, some of you guys are like, nah, not me. Okay, <laughs> well, all right, we clean up. Like, that's, that's what most of us, okay, that's what most of us do. How many of you guys, like, when, um, this is how it is at our house, when we got somebody coming over, we clean, we clean, we clean, but then, like, the last five minutes, it's just, like, gather up all the junk left and throw it into a room. You guys do that? 
like a bedroom or something. For us, it's like our office, which is like a bedroom. Um, we just, just like throw it all in the office, close the door, act like that's clean, you know, just make it, make it look good. Like you hide all your junk. Right? That's, what, that's what King Xerxes is doing. Like that's the same kind of thing, although he goes way overkill. I mean, this guy is successful and he looked it. Let me just put something in perspective. Again, like I was saying, I think a lot of us, we look down on people who live before us, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing. I think that's our culture. Um, but this guy, let me just put this into perspective so we're all on the same page. This guy is more accomplished than you will ever be in your lifetime, professionally at least, okay? Just to make sure we're all on the same page here. This guy's better than us when it comes to professional. Like, like this guy has accomplished more than you will ever accomplish in your lifetime professionally. He is in charge of 44% of the world's population, okay? He owns. He's the king. They all pay him to be their ruler. No other nation on the planet could even come close to matching him at this point or during his life. I mean, this guy, King Xerxes, he's got more money than you will ever have in your lifetime. And he flaunts it. He could do whatever he wants with it. He's got total freedom, and he wanted everybody to know it. He wanted everybody to know who's in charge. He wanted everybody to know how good he's got it. And he didn't just want to display his money or his food or his fancy china or his sweet couches, okay? He wanted to also display his most prized possession, and that was his queen. And so at the last day of this week, um, he calls a servant. He's like, hey, this is what I want. He's got this queen. Her name's Vashti. She's... Super cool, sounds like. Uh, he says, hey, servant, I want you to go get Queen Vashti. Bring her in here. Um, I want her to walk around all my buddies, and I want her to only be wearing basically the crown, okay? So um, everything else is non-existent, just the crown on her head. I want everybody to see my wife. I want everybody to see my queen. I want everybody to see my most prized possession, all right? This is mine. It's like the last thing that he hasn't displayed. He's displayed everything that he owns. His, He's displayed all his possessions, but it's like this is his most valuable possession. And to all his buddies, he's saying, it's basically the attitude of, hey, you think your wife's hot? All right? Check out mine. All right? And check out the crown on her head that I gave to her. Like, feast your eyes on this. And this was going to be the big moment. This was like the finale of the finale. Right, he's going to have the queen there, and, and she's, again, not going to be wearing anything but the crown on her head, and everybody's waiting, and when the servant goes to Queen Vashti, who's got, by the way, got her own banquet going on for all the women, and he, he goes, he's like, uh, hey, got to talk to you. Um, the king wants you, and uh, you can remove that and that and that and that, but yeah, keep the crown on your head. And when Queen Vashti hears this, she's just like, no, I'm not going. I don't want to go. Apparently, she didn't want to be paraded as a trophy in front of a bunch of junk, drunk guys, you know. And so she says no. And when the king hears this, he is so mad. I mean, he is ticked off. In fact, the Bible tells us that he is, his wrath burned within him. And so he does what most people do when they have problems with their spouse. Instead of going to their spouse and talking it out, he calls in all his buddies. Right? So he gets all his buddies. He's like, hey, here's the situation. This is what happened. Um, obviously, you don't see her. She's not walking around. What the heck? What's going on here? And so his buddies are like, oh, man, king, this is 
terrible. Well, let's tell you what we could do. Because you know what this is going to do? This is going to be like a domino effect. Because once all the women in our entire empire see that the queen disobeys the king and there's no like repercussions from that, it's like they're all going to rebel against their husbands. You're going to have all these rebel women doing whatever they want. It's just going to be a disaster. We can't have any of this. This is like what they're freaking out about. Funny. And, um, and so they say, here's the plan. You have to banish her. You have to get rid of her. You got to dispose her or depose her of as the queen. And so the king, he hears this and, and he's like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. I've been drinking for seven days. Sounds like a pretty good idea to uh, make a huge relationship decision like now. And that's what he does. Right? He, in a rage of anger, he banishes Vashti. And what's interesting about this like ruling or this decree that he does is that the Persians had this rule, again, this, this law, that once the king makes a decree, you can't take it back. Right? I think it was, it, was, it was done so that kings would really think about what they say or think about the laws that they make. And so the Persians say, hey, um, you, you know, once the decree is made, there's nothing that the, even the king can do. The king can't, can't unbanish her. I mean, it's set in stone. It's done. And so he banishes Queen Vashti, and he will never see her again, and she will never be queen again, and she will never see him again. And maybe she didn't care about that. I don't know. And it doesn't take long after he sobers up a little bit that he actually starts to miss her. And so what's he do? He gathers all his buddies again who give really good advice. And he says, hey, guys, what do I do? Um, you know, I, I don't have a queen. Like, I miss my wife. And his officials come up with this plan. They say, you know what? We've been thinking a long, long time about this, you know, about what we should be doing. Here's the deal. Um, why don't we go into the empire? Let's gather all the most beautiful women that we can find, all the, uh, you know, unmarried women. Let's gather them all from the entire empire. You, king, can sleep with them, and then you can decide which one you want the best. Right? That's the plan. That's what they come up with. And so the king, he hears this, and again, he's, he makes really good decisions. And he's like, you know what? I think I could figure out how to enjoy that. You know, he's just like, I could probably force myself to do that. Yeah, let's do it. And so that's what they do. And so the search is on for the next queen of Persia. And this is where the story of Esther begins. Esther chapter 2, verse 5 says, In the fortress of Susa, this is like kind of their capital city. This is where they all live. It says, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Hadessa, that is Esther, because she had uh, no father or mother. Now, the first thing that we find out about Esther within the first sentence is that Esther did not have an easy life, like a lot of us, okay? Esther, had a, she had a hard life. I mean, both of her father and her mother have both died. She, you know, she was probably witnesses to that. She, she was around for that, obviously. And, um, and not only that, but she's, so she's an orphan, but she doesn't have anybody. Sounds like all she has is her older cousin that kind of takes her in uh, because she's got nobody else. And so she's dealing with that. They're also in a land that, that they don't belong to. You know, this, she's a Jewish girl. They're not in Israel because her great-grandparents would have been taken from their land. And so it's just not a such great situation. It says the young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. Now, this is um, Bible speak for she's hot, okay? Don't know how else to explain it. Okay, she's super good-looking. She's beautiful. She's really pretty. However you want to describe it, it's all the same thing. Um, she is, everybody who looked at her were just like, wow, that girl is gorgeous, okay? And so when her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. And when the king's command and edict, all right, what's that? That's this plan. When he 
gives, the, gives the decree saying, hey, all right, we're going to gather all the most beautiful women um, to come, and maybe they could be my, my queen. He says, when the king's command and edict became public knowledge, and when many young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Hegai's uh, supervision, it says, Esther was taken to the palace and into the supervision of Hegai, keeper of the women. So it all starts, right? The search begins. Esther happens to be one of the, one of the ladies that gets chosen along with what scholars and, and historians kind of debate, whether it's between maybe 400 or up to 1,400 other women. So Esther's not alone. There's a whole bunch of women that get taken for this. And, uh, and so we don't know, all right, if she willingly went, maybe, right? We don't know if she went against her will. That may be too. All we know is that she goes. And my guess is that this isn't exactly how she planned her life to go. I don't think she was thinking this. I'm sure as she's grown up, she's thinking as a young Jewish girl in a foreign land, she's thinking, you know what, someday I'm going to meet a handsome Jewish boy. We're going to get married. We're going to have a big family. And, and we, we're not going to be rich, but we're going to make ends meet. And we're gonna, I'm going to have my house, my picket fence, and my dog, and maybe a cat for some of you cat people out there, if that's your thing. All right? She's thinking, hey, this is how my life's going to go. But from this point on, for the rest of her life, she is tied to this king. Right? Even if she isn't picked as queen, she is tied to the king. She becomes one of his like wives. And, uh, and, and whether this was forcefully taken or she willingly gave it up, we, we don't know. But she has no control of her life anymore. I mean, she doesn't have any control. It's out of control. I mean, you ever feel like that in, within your own life? Where it's like, uh, like life has just gotten out of your control. And part of me, by the way, thinks it's kind of a good thing. I think it's good for us to feel like that because I think one of our biggest problems is that we think we actually have control in our life and we don't. And then when we experience usually a tragic event in our life, like when something happens that, that we're not expecting or, is, or life doesn't go the way that we expect it to or the way that we plan it to, um, we feel kind of that lack of control. And a lot of us, we respond in different ways, right? Like some of us, it like breaks us. Some of us, it overwhelms us. Some of us, we shut down or we break down. And usually it's at this point in our life where we start questioning God. Usually it's at this point where we're like, hey, God, why? Where are you at? What's going on here? Why is this thing entering my life? I don't like it. See, it's not what Esther does. Esther, what we're going to see is she takes the cards that are dealt with her or dealt to her and she moves forward. She starts getting ready to meet the king. She's locked in now. And the Bible tells us she has to go through a year of training. Um, this isn't some like, hey, you know, I'm going to take a course on how to be a queen this semester. And, you know, I'll learn all my stuff and write all my papers. It's not what's going on. This isn't like, I'm going to take this course, I'm going to take this class in the evenings when I have time um, for a semester. No, this is a year-long thing. This is every day for a year, she is learning how to be a queen. Like, they took this thing very, very serious. And while she's training in verse 9, next verse, it says, The young woman, this is Esther, pleased him. Who's him? This is he got. This is the, 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 her trainer, let's call him. Um, and, he, and she gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. It says he assigned seven handpicked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. So right off the bat, immediately, Esther impresses the guy that, that, that's in charge of her. She impresses her trainer. She stands out. 
She's not like the rest. And I think what stood out at this point, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, I don't think it was a pretty face. Because remember, she's surrounded by maybe over a thousand pretty faces. She's just one of them. What seems to stand out here is her character and how she carries herself, how she treats herself, and, and people start to view her differently. I mean, what stands out is, that she, is how she reacts and how she moves forward through a situation that she entered her life, even though she has no control, even though she has no control of her life. And the chances of her actually becoming someone, actually becoming queen, is unbelievably sl slim, like maybe one out of 1,400 one out of a thousand. And so it really reminds us, like, how do you handle situations that pop up in your life? Like, what do you do when these situations enter your life? Like, when life isn't ideal. See, Esther, I mean, she sticks out. And people notice. She develops this great reputation. And because of that, she is given the best servants. And because of that, she is given the best room of the place. It just is a great reminder for us because people are always watching. Like, people don't necessarily know what's going on on the inside. They see what's going on on the outside. So how we carry ourselves, I mean, it matters. And here, it really helps Esther. Check this out. Next verse. It says, but Esther did not reveal her ethnicity or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. It's interesting here. Some scholars disagree on this. Some scholars are like, well, she's embarrassed of being a Jew. That's messed up. She's embarrassed of, you know, being God's people. But I personally think, I think she did this. I think Mordecai had her do this probably for her own protection. Because what we're going to find out later in the story is that there's a lot of people who just hated the Jewish people. They're all racist. They're, they hated the Jewish people because they were Jews. And so my guess is, that, you know, what I believe is that's the situation that's going on here. I think this is for Esther's own um, protection here. And so every day, Mordecai, he took a walk in the front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. And so here's Mordecai. He's invested. I mean, think about it, every day for a year, probably over a year, he's, he's going there, he's talking to Esther. I mean, think about it, this is a bunch of women trying to win this contest, trying to become the, the wife of the queen, or of the king, they're trying to become the queen. You think there's any drama going on there? In this house, they're all living together. All right, it's probably crazy, probably filled with drama. Mordecai, he's there. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He's trying to see how Esther is doing. He cares about her. And then this is what happens. Like, here's, here's the situation, okay? The Bible kind of points it out to us. This is, the, this is the king's buddies. This is their plan. It's during the year, before each young woman's turn to go to King Xerxes, it says the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil and myrrh for six months and with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. It says, when the young women would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. So she was a little freedom in that. And so she would go in the evening, and in the morning, she would return to a second harem under the supervision of the king's eunuch, Sheashgaz. Now, I think that's a sweet name. No one's messing with a guy named Sheashgaz. Okay, nobody. I already, told my, I already told Kate. She was in for service. I said, hey, we have another kid, and it's a boy. This is on my list right here. Number one, Sheash Gas Pinkerton. No one's messing with that <laughs> at all. All right, so they go and hang out with Sheash Gas, the keeper of the concubines. It says she never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. So I think for us, especially within our culture, because we're all like, you know, writes this, writes that, or whatever. I think we look at this automatically, and that's kind of the first thing that sticks out to us. We're like, it's our tendency to look at this and say, man, that's messed up. 
That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like a good idea. And I'm just telling you, you're right. It is messed up. This isn't at all how God has desired us to, like, find our spouse, all right? Sleep with them until you figure it out. By the way, a lot of people do that, all right? I mean, that's what our culture is all about. I mean, think about it. We celebrate this same type of game contest within our own culture. I'm not, I'm not getting on anybody for watching whatever, but I'm just saying, I don't know how, this is the exact same thing as The Bachelor. Like, this is it, all right? This is what our culture is all about. Like, a bunch of women trying to find their husband. A bunch of women competing to become the next queen. Um, I'm sure this is filled, again, with drama and girls hating on each other and the alliances and the strategies. And no matter how good of friends these girls think they are, they're always willing to stab each other in the back. And everyone wants that rose. Okay, that's what this is. And with this rose, think about it. Think about what comes with it. With this rose, this comes with riches and fame and authority and power and everything that the world celebrates. Everything that the world tells us that we should want and that we should try to do whatever we can, you know, step on as many people as we can to achieve or to get. And these girls get one shot. They go on their date. They try to impress their king, all right? And, and if they do things right, if they, if they talk the right talk and they walk the right walk, they have the potential to become queen of the most powerful empire on the planet. Or... The flip side is if they don't become the one queen, then they become a no-name girl who can't return to her family, who can't remarry, who can never have a family of her own, and is only used for sex if the king even remembered her name. That's the situation that Esther's in. And so Esther spends months getting ready for her date, getting ready for her one night. And it says, when her turn came... To go to the king, she did not ask for anything except for what Hegai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, suggested. And so Esther gained favor in the eyes of everyone who saw her. So I'm just telling, just pointing this out. All right, God's not in this necessarily or, you know, in the words here, but God's doing something here. Like, this is a God thing. She finds favor in everybody, and she was taken to King Xerxes in the palace in the 10th month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther. The king loves her more than all the other women, and she won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. And so you know what he did? He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. Now, if this was a movie in our culture, this is where it would end. Okay, if this was a, um, you know, a reality TV show, like this, this is the end here. Like think about it. A poor Jewish orphan girl becomes queen of the most powerful empire on earth. She gets to marry the king. She gets to marry the prince. She never has to worry about money again. And she always has what, she's always going to have what she needs. Okay, she gets the riches. She gets the fame. She gets the authority. She gets the power. Everyone lives happily ever after and, uh, and everything's good. Fairy tale over. But that's not how true stories happen. All right, that's not how true stories happen go. Like AJ said last week, it's super interesting. God is not written on the pages of the story of Esther. It's not there. It's not God did this, then God did that, right? But we see throughout the entire story, and this is kind of the first thing, that we see him working, right? He's doing his thing. He's behind the scenes. He's working in her life just by, like, by the way, he is working in your life. He's not doing anything overtly miraculous. He doesn't split the sea. He doesn't oh, 
send fire from heaven. There's no walking on water or anything like that. Right? It's just unexpected little situations that God uses in his people's lives. And God uses um, to, to do big things is what we're going to find out, just like he does in our lives. It's the same thing. But just because we don't see it or just because we don't feel him or just because we don't understand what his plan is, plan is doesn't mean he's not there. Doesn't mean he's not working. Like, just like Esther, we can have faith that God is, that God in him, that he knows what's best for our story. See, Esther, she doesn't have a clue what her story is going to be. She's probably as surprised as anybody. She doesn't have a clue why her story is dramatically changed. She doesn't know what God's doing. She doesn't know what the plan is. And unlike a fairy tale, her story is just beginning. But it's just a great reminder for us, especially as we go into this week, especially as we continue on in our unperfect stories with all these things that are in our lives that we don't necessarily want there, but they are. It just reminds us that, number one, God's always there. He's always moving. He's always working behind the scenes. Just because we can't feel him, just because we don't see him, doesn't mean that he's not. And sometimes we just need to hear that because it's true. Let's pray. God, we um, thank you for everything that you've given us. We thank you for this story and what Esther means and, and just all the stuff that we're going to see throughout the next few weeks that you do through her life. A poor Jewish orphan girl in a foreign land. God, thank you for the reminder that you are all powerful and that you can use our lives as well and that you want to use our lives. God, we ask that, uh, as, especially as things in our life and that we don't necessarily like or bad things happen to us, um, God, help us to remember that, number one, that there's a reason and, um, and that you care about us and that you love us and that you, you know what's best. God, we thank you for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.